Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. everybody this would be the jeff cameron show right here on 93.3 real talk radio and war chant tv hope this finds you doing well hope you had a splendid splendid yes splendid weekend everybody i'm jeff tom will be along shortly director matthew is in the studio making sure this goes smoothly we are live this is not taped but we are live from the hizzy as uh, there's a lot going on for tom and i so we're we're in the house, but we're live. We can read the chat. You got questions, fire away. Let's go. Let's get after it. What a weekend it was for Florida State softball. By the way, Tom, at the start of the show, I do want to point out something here right off the bat. Two of our very favorite players of all time. I don't know if you saw the release uh, that from Derek, but uh, Florida State uh, looking to get two more into the College Football Hall of Fame as it's Peter Warwick and Warwick Dunn. And I bet you... You would not have to, if you walked up to a random Florida State fan and said, all right, name the five best players, five most important players, five decorated players. It wouldn't take them long to get to uh, Warwick Dunn and Peter Warwick. It'll be a couple names, right, before one of their names was uh, mentioned. And so it is uh, that now they get a chance to go into the Hall of Fame. Hope so. Yeah, especially when you say most important. You know, the, it, it it was strange for about two, three months there as Dalvin Cook was ascending up the leaderboards of FSU's all-time leading rusher and setting records for single season yards and career and all these kinds of things that Dalvin did. And I remember one day we were on the air on the other side of the FM dial. And I said, can we just say it now that, that Dalvin is the best running back Florida State's ever had? You're like, yeah, even better than work done? Yeah. But when you talk about the total package of the importance to the program, somebody that is emblematic of a time in which Florida State went from dominant to championship. Uh, Warwick Dunn was there for that transition, and he was one of my first sporting heroes. Uh, you know, obviously, he's not going into the College Football Hall of Fame for his time with the Bucks in the NFL, but to have my favorite football player in the world go from playing for my team on Saturdays to Sundays, Warwick Dunn is always a very special part of what it means to me to be a football fan. I hope it's a short stay for him on the ballot. I hope it's this time and straight through because what he did off the field is even better than all the things he did on the field. He continues to do these things for charities and his own charity. Peter Wark was just mind-blowing. What an amazing football player to watch. It's funny, though. Those are the the players that I saw in elementary school and in middle school, and you were a full-fledged adult when you got to see those guys' careers. Yeah, that's my era, man. That's my time. Um, you know, I, I got to Tallahassee in 91, and Warwick Dunn, of course, played from 93 through 96, and he was a guy uh, that and, – and Peter Warwick was uh, in the 96 through 99. So there you go. And and I I can still remember 
covering Peter Warwick. He was one of the guys. I don't get too starstruck, um, certainly not anymore. But back then, when I first started in media and, and started doing work for radio stations and, and had an opportunity to kind of make this my career, Peter Warwick was one of the first guys that I have to admit, when I went over to cover a practice, I saw Peter Warwick one day, 98, I think it was, and I remember thinking, holy moly, that's Peter effing Warwick. I mean, that that dude, and I still think, by the way, I don't. I have never seen in Florida State history a more electrifying player than Peter Warwick. Uh, no, you can talk about greatest athletes of all time, and Deion Sanders is going to come to mind immediately. If you talk about the best athletes to ever play here, you cannot deny Deion Sanders uh, that that credit that he is due. But Peter Warwick, I, I had never seen anybody play receiver like him. I think a lot of people, because his pro career didn't uh, flourish as much as his college career did, forget a little bit. I'm talking about nationally. Kind of forget what Peter Warwick was. But what Peter Warwick was in college, simply put, I thought he was the best player in the country. I really didn't even think it was that close. Uh, he was unreal on a weekly basis in college. And when you watch his highlight reels, to this day, you recognize it translates. It's funny. You and I have had long conversations about watching. You know, the offseason, you, you find yourself kind of just flipping around, and occasionally you'll come across, whether it's the SEC network, the ACC network, maybe it's ESPN2 or something like that, ESPN News. You'll find these old games. And every now and then, it's not. it doesn't even have to be a game between Florida State and somebody. It could just be a game from 94 that you're like, oh, I forgot about this game. This was an amazing game. And when you're watching those games, every now and then you'll see something you're like, well, that, that wouldn't play today. That doesn't work, you know. Not only just in the way that it was called, but also just certain elements of the game that has advanced from that time and to where we are now. And you do the same thing, I think, with players. There are players you watch play from the late 80s, mid-80s, early 90s, and you're like, uh, he would have to have been a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit longer, whatever it might be. And then there are guys like Peter Warwick and Warwick Dunn. And Warwick Dunn was so ahead of his time. He was one of these players that now is standard uh, in the pro game as well as the college game that have the multidimensional skills of catching the ball out of the backfield. These diminutive guys that can make you miss and get lost behind the line of scrimmage and find ways to live in a big man's world. And they get down, you know, they don't get, you never square them up. We see backs like that all the time, but Warwick Dunn, you know, I mean, Marshall Falk's really the guy that gets a ton of credit for that in the NFL. And I understand why, but Warwick Dunn, was kind of way ahead of his time, and, and that's why I thought years later they would reconsider in the NFL whether or not, if you just look at yards from scrimmage, we're just talking about total yards, Warwick Dunn would be a guy you'd have to consider for the Hall of Fame. But back to my point, when I watched Peter Warwick uh, and those highlight reels, that guy would be a superstar in today's game. Peter Warwick would be a superstar at wide receiver in today's game. It was remarkable to watch him. It'd be fun to watch both of these players in the current offense that Florida State has too. You know, this is something we've been very lucky and spoiled as Florida State fans over the decades now is you've seen varieties of offense from different coaching minds, different styles, but explosiveness. I mean, that's just been something that Florida State has been about. And Mickey Andrews in the defense, yes, that, that was absolutely a hallmark of Florida State football, and the man deserves a statue. But offensively speaking, you think about the skill position players that have been in Florida State – 
the cutting edge offensive strategy, you know, that goes all the way back to Bobby's early career, mm-hmm. the Kentucky Derby offense, and then Jimbo's record setting offense, even though it wasn't for pace, he put all of the pieces together and that 2013 team averaged over 51 points a game yeah. running at the speed of army didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and now you have this offense with Mike Norvell that is crafted for playmakers. We chuckled at it when he first got here. And now you see it each and every week. And it's a different player, it seems like, on every drive or in every game. But if you were to put a player like Warwick Dunn or a player like Peter Warwick in this offense, I mean, they would they do it in any offense. But in this offense especially, you just think about the numbers that would look incredible on the stat sheet. I'm sure Warwick Dunn in today's day and age of up-tempo football would have run for close to 2,000 yards in a season. But all in all, it's fun to talk about these guys, and, and when they get their just due, it's fun to honor them. And both of them are going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. It's just a matter of when. We'll segue quickly. I'll circle back to those two in the College Football Hall of Fame in general. It's kind of a weird election process. I do like when they make the announcements every year around this time as to who's on the ballot because it's a trip down memory lane for all of us that love this sport and that have been addicted to this sport for, you know, the better part of 40 years. And you go back and see some of those names, and it's a trip to childhood. It's a it's a moment in time where you remember watching those players above and beyond just Florida State. It's, it's across the sport. Of course, we have to get to the fact that there is, you know, a, a game tonight that I think we're excited about, 7 o'clock, Florida State in Tennessee, getting it on in softball. What riveting action against Washington we watched over the weekend, Tom. I leapt around uh, just like a little kid after the catch and the double play and the moment of realization, it's over. I, I don't have to be nervous anymore. We're good to go. Let's keep it rolling. We did what we needed to do. Uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it'll be fun tonight against Tennessee. By the way, Oklahoma is playing right now, and we'll update you. You guys aren't around a scoreboard. It's 2-2, two to two, Oklahoma and Stanford in the fourth inning. So that's not nothing. They're hanging in. Yeah, and this is a, is a night where you hope you don't play twice. Uh, Florida State, if they do not come away with a win in the first game, play again. Playing late into the night. Let's hope that's not the case. Let's hope that Oklahoma instead is playing around 4-4-30 this afternoon because it means that there's a chance that uh, Patty Gasso's bunch could be eliminated. But I thought – our previous game was the bumpy one, and I hope that's the last bumpy one because Cat wasn't the same pitcher. Uh, you use an opener, and I get that strategy. Besides, it's a freshman, and it's great experience uh, for Reed to start the game. But I thought Cat's first inning plus was not that sharp. Uh, a lot of good hard-hit contact. Adam balls, things Adam that Adam balls, a couple of the right field. That's the one that gets you out of the second inning. Um, it wasn't great defensively. Made a couple of boneheaded mistakes. On the base pass, you make a couple of errors there. Let's just put it simply. If you get out of this game, you cannot make those mistakes against Oklahoma in a best of three and expect to win a national championship. You just can't do it. You are good enough to do that against Washington, and that's what Saturday was. But this is a bunch that's just, again, as is the case with every season of Lonnie Alameda softball, really easy to get behind, really easy to root for and be along for the ride with. I was doing a game thread on warchant.com during the game uh, on Saturday, and it was a blast. Uh, and every moment in those last few innings felt like it was going to be the difference between a win or a loss. And, it, you know, it looked good for the first few innings, but that last 45 minutes or so, you're just kind of on the edge of your seat. And thankfully, just like five years ago, it ends for Washington with a double play. And yeah, they, awesome. 
they're going to have, you're going to run into a Washington fan somehow, some way at an airport, and you're going to have your Florida State gear on, and they're going to have an odd hatred for you, and, and we'll, you'll be racking your brain. Why Washington? Oh, yes. No, oh, the heartbreak we've cost you all. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's a great play. Uh, it's also uh, it's also an unlucky play for Washington. Such is life. It happens that way sometimes. I mean, she got up there, needed every centimeter. Oh, yeah, she made, of she made play. Yeah. That, as you look at it, the, the angle from you know behind home plate for the play by play doesn't tell you how necessary the jump was because sometimes it'll land right in the paw or the base of the palm of your hand. But Josie had to get way up there, every bit of her five foot five frame and the explosiveness in order to be in a position to make the play. But then again, it's just knowing about to do with the next detail, being able to fire the ball over and double off and, and make it a moot point. Uh, but it was it was scary. Let's hope they're a little cleaner tonight. You don't want to play twice. If you could be a little cleaner tonight, you get all that extra rest uh, for the best of three. Not that people care all that much about what is happening in the world of college baseball from over the weekend. But Florida, the number two national seed, as we embrace schadenfreude, is in a winner-take-all game in their regional right now against Texas Tech. Unfortunately, they lead that game three to nothing in the fifth inning right now. I'll keep you posted on that one. But if Florida were to fall, uh, early like this, well, that would just be a damn shame now, wouldn't it, to be the number two national seed and somehow fall in your face. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if that happens or not. I won't spend too much time on it. I will note it's not going to make you feel that much better, but I went through all of this. I actually caught myself watching a lot of this. I watched a lot of softball and a lot of baseball over the weekend, and, of course, the NBA Finals last night. What a riveting game that was. Uh, tale of two quarters in the second half. It was all Denver in the third quarter, all Miami in the fourth quarter. I'm glad in a weird way that Miami won that game. I want this to be a good series. I want seven games. I want to have fun with it. Uh, I thought if Miami fell down 0-2 to Denver, they were going to be in a big, big, big hole and not really make this much of a series because I do think Denver will win a game on the road. So more on that later. But I did note, Tom, if you think back – on Florida State's baseball season, and then I'll move on because I got it. But they got more good news over the weekend. Florida State continues to really work this transfer portal now, and they're raiding UCF. UCF is about damn tired of Link Jarrett uh, as they continue to bring in good players. But here's what I thought about. Uh, if you think about an historically bad season, you finish 23-31, and 9-21 and 21 in the ACC. It's a nightmare. Um, but you go back through and you look at who they lost to. Uh, if you think about the representation within the 64-team field of baseball regionals, you really realize, look, Number one seed, Wake Forest. FSU went one and two against Wake and Tallahassee. We know that. The Deeks have now advanced to the Super Regional. They're going to host Alabama. Um, we went 0-3 against Florida. That game's on right now. Florida's the number two national seed. Florida State lost to Clemson. FSU went 1-2 and two against Clemson. Uh, Clemson uh, was upset in their regional, which was won by Tennessee, but again, a four seed. Number seven seed, Virginia. FSU went 0-3 against the Cavaliers in Charlottesville. Virginia advanced to the Super Regional. They'll host the winner of Coastal Carolina Duke. Number nine seed, Miami, uh, just outside that top eight. Of course, Miami gets upset by Texas. Good on you, Texas. Great job. We went 0-3 down in Coral Gables to them. Boston College, was, which is essentially a 17 seed, we went 1-2 and two against BC at the time. That looked terrible. Uh, BC lost to host Alabama, who's now going to take on Wake Forest in the Super. TCU, who we won that series two games to one against the Horned Frogs in Fort Worth. 
They can advance to the Super Regional. If they get a win over Arkansas, they're still in it. Um, NC State, uh, number three seed in South Carolina. Uh, the Gamecocks are overall number 15 seed. FSU went 0-3 against the Wolfpack. NC State lost to South Carolina, awaiting the winner of Florida, Texas. So 5-19 and 19 against teams who made it to the NCAA baseball tournament, and many of them are top 15 seeds. It doesn't change the fact that Florida State was awful this year. It's just worth noting they weren't getting drubbed by scrubs. They were getting beat by the top 15 or 16 national seeds every week. That's what they were doing. Well, yeah, I documented that in February when they had won a couple of big series early on. Well, one big series against TCU. They beat Jacksonville on the road, and you thought, oh, look at this. Things are so much better because the from March on, we looked at that schedule and said, oh, my God, like you got to get fat here in February in order to give yourself a chance because if you're anywhere close to six, seven games over 500 at the end of the season with that schedule, you're probably going to get in. Well, February was a disaster from about the mid, you know, the latter point to uh, spring break. And from, you know, that point in the schedule, it, it didn't really matter because we weren't good enough to beat bad teams, let alone these teams that you're just listing. Uh, I'm glad the season's dead. I'm glad the roster is flipping as we speak. I'm sure we'll get another golden night uh, or you, I guess they're the regular nights now at UCF, but we'll get another one in 10 minutes. Uh, good job, Link Jarrett. Make them the South Carolina of yeah. your baseball program. It's yeah, what Mike yeah. Corbell did to the Gamecocks is what he's doing to UCF. Keep it up, man. Something to uh, to to note here really quickly before we break um, as far as, yeah, flipping all of that goes and Link's efforts to get this done uh, and, and Florida State baseball, the regionals. We got asked a question in the chat by David. Uh, Jeff, why does the NCAA baseball committee load some regionals with great teams uh, and then look at the Wake Regional? It was a joke. This has been a frustration of mine for a long time. I can tell you that for years and years and years, David, post 9-11, post 2001, the NCAA hid behind security travel issues. They basically tried to make it so that nobody had to leave where they're from. In essence, they were worried about security and traveling. Now, that was farcical even back then, but that's what they would say. I know they've also for years and years wanted to create a system that was fairer in their minds uh, from, from a host standpoint for schools in the Midwest and, and, and not just teams in the South. We all know that the vast majority of elite level baseball in college is played in the South, period. It just is. There are exceptions. There are outliers. But for the most part, the yeah. best baseball is played in the South. And it stands to reason, you know, you don't have long swaths of time where you can't be out playing baseball uh, like you do in Illinois. You know, <laughs> that's a problem. And so they've always tried to cater and try to make it more fair. And in the end of the day, what they end up doing is having these Southern teams stay close to home and play each other. And so if you're the three seed, in essence, you end up playing the 13th seed instead of like the 50th or 48th or 37th. You know, you, ideally you'd be like one versus 64, two versus, you know, th that's not the way they do it. They don't, they don't issue these regionals in a way that seems commiserate to what the national rankings would be. Yeah, that's correct. They now seed one through 16 at least, which is better, but they should seed it all the way through and it's not going to change. Oddly enough, I have no idea why I was listening to this, but the other day I was listening to 
uh, College Sports Channel on Sirius XM, and they had the the tournament chair, the head of the committee for baseball selection on, and he was discussing why they made some choices that they did. And again, I don't know why I didn't flip the dial the moment that I heard that was coming up, but I heard it. And basically, they want to do away with the RPI. They want to have the net system like basketball because yes, they, they it's been a rousing success in basketball, which I'm like, okay, no. And secondly, they said that they're continuing the narrative about there is a disadvantage to not being in the South. It's not about talent. They think there's a disadvantage because the weather sucks. So therefore, those teams should be, because of the disadvantage they must endure about going on the road, they should be rewarded for the difficult nature of the first six weeks of the season. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's So it's not going to get better is my point. That's no, the lesson I took from what – they're not changing and evolving. They're staying in their old ways, which is, oh, man, it's just so hard to be from the Midwest, so hard to be from the Pacific Northwest. It's just too cold early in the season. So we take that into account because those teams are at a disadvantage. And well, so it's going to continue as, as it has. I've always thought this. It's understandable that you would note or wait even road schedules early in the year for teams from the Midwest or Pacific Northwest. If I have to play 18 of my first 22 games on the road down in Florida and Georgia and Alabama and places like that, I'm at a distinct disadvantage. It's true. It's not what he's fault it's just where i happen to be from regionally but you don't then afterwards decide to seed these tournaments in such a way that yeah. is a distinct disadvantage for the teams that were of elite status in the south throughout the course of the year you can under you can wait the difficulty of schedule that that an illinois or a nebraska or an indiana or somebody might be playing because they have to start the year on the road for 20 games but you don't have to then at the end of the year be like yeah well you know i don't want anybody to travel we got to take care of these big 10 teams so let's just make sure all the elite teams beat up on each other in this very compact region of the country. Yeah, you know who's the worst enemy of the ACC and the SEC in that circumstance? Link Jarrett's Notre Dame team from two years ago because it helps them uh, confirm their bias. They say, see? See, look what Link did with Notre Dame. Yeah, 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 it's true. Well, it's just that that's an answer I wanted to try to hit on that in the chat. Every year we get asked about it most of the time, and I and I wanted to – Further flush that out, I guess. Flush that out a little bit. Jeff Cameron, show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Hello there, podcasters. Oh, don't worry. I won't prattle on for two minutes like I do with some of the other reads. Zaxby's doesn't demand it of me. <laughs> Zaxby's like, look, just tell everybody that we have the best chicken sandwich in all the land. That's easy. I can do that. I can attest to that. A delicious, thick, juicy, tasty Zaxby's chicken sandwich is where it's at. Of course, the strips are a given. You like the strips. We get the strips on game days. The platters are lifesavers. Mm -hmm. If you're going to a party, a pool party, say, this summer, and what do I bring? Just bring a beer giant thing. No. and Zaxby's. Worry about the beer. You bring the Zaxby's. You're going to be the hero. Just uh -huh. make sure you get all the sauces, too. They've got like 97 sauces, and they're all delicious. I don't know if you guys know this. There are 27 Zaxby's in Tallahassee alone. 27. You can't miss them. I think that's true in general in every city in America. They're like so, peach trees in Atlanta. They're everywhere. Look around. Find you a Zaxby's and get after it. By the way, your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 18 years. Go Knowles. 
Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the jeff cameron show is a production of the warchant.com multimedia network check out warchant.com today for the latest news inside florida state athletics that's warchant.com now back to jeff on real talk 93.3 it's jeff cameron show 93.3 real talk radio warchant tv good to be with you hope you're well on a monday should note again going back to this a a moment ago i was talking about the uh, ballot for the college football hall of fame and warwick dunn peter warwick on it i i talked about what peter warwick was obviously we know what warwick dunn was but something to to talk about here that just blows me away peter warwick by the way tom um you you think back to his many records a two-time consensus all-american for starters uh he holds the fsu record with 32 receiving touchdowns 3,517 career receiving yards it was the most in acc history ranked second on fsu's all-time list and was also ranked second in program history with 207 receptions, 15 100-yard receiving games, average of 4.81 receptions per game. Uh, He is obviously in the FSU Hall of Fame, has been so since 2010, had his jersey retired in 2018. Uh, That stood out to me. He was also a member of the ACC's 50th anniversary team in 2002 because, of course, he was. But remember, you and I were working together, of course, wasn't that long ago at all, that when Peter Warwick's number was retired – it's been five years. How's that even possible? How did five years go by? I thought it was last year. Like if you said, when did Peter Warwick's number get retired? I'd be like, was it last year? No, year before. Year before. It was year before. 2018? What? Yeah, no, I, that sounds about right to me. It's just that the pandemic has this strange ability to bend time in both directions, to make things feel like that they were yesterday that aren't, and to make something that happened three years ago feel like it was 10 years ago. And this is, for me, one of the former. I just That five years feels about right. And I just looked up the ACC career receiving yards leaders, and Peter Wark is still fourth, despite yeah. this new generation of football, despite the new generation and the you know higher possession count, higher yardage count, uh, the bend rules-wise towards offense, and specifically the passing game. That's how freaking good that guy was, even with a lot of blowouts and – not a whole lot of four-quarter work. He's still in the top five in, in, with this era of college football ongoing. And again, I, I posit to you, it's 3,500, 17 career receiving yards. If he's in Mike Norvell's offense for three seasons, oh how many yards God. does this dude rack up? Oh, 5,000? Yeah, yeah there's, there's so many records that would be broken uh, with a guy of his prodigious talent in this offense. I look at when when this came out this morning, we both know Peter Warwick and Warwick Dunn are going into the College Football Hall of Fame. And it's a time of year when you reflect a little bit on what Florida State football is, what it means, where it's going, where it's been. And, and so in, in the era of list season, off season, 
uh, every year we get these nominations and sometimes it's curious how long people have to wait. Like it, it made no sense to me that Marvin Jones had to wait all the way to 2022 become the, you know, in order to become the 10th Seminole in the college football hall of fame. Um, we know Charlie Ward is in, we know Derek Brooks is in, uh, of course, Bobby Bowden is in, he went in way back in 2006. Um, and then, and you think about who else is in there, Fred Blitnikoff, Ron Sellers, Daryl Mudra, Ron Simmons, Deion Sanders, Terrell Buckley, all in the hall of fame. But you know, I bring this up, not just because of the announcement today, these two guys are going to get into the hall of fame, but because it was something we talked about on Friday, Tom, going back, how fortunate I feel to have started going to games with my dad in the eighties, early eighties, and then being in school in the early nineties. And then thinking about the career covering the program from 98 on I've watched the emergence of this program. Basically. I mean, I remember the 79 season. I can remember them losing to Oklahoma in the orange bowl and having an undefeated season that kind of turned out to be an outlier in a weird way. By the way, I have that pennant. I have that orange bowl pennant from back in the day. Um, but, but that said, the superstars of this program basically played before my eyes. Yeah. All of them like most all of them. And I'm now thinking about the flood of former Seminoles that are going to be in the college football hall of fame. If you've never been to the college football hall of fame in Atlanta, have you been Tom? I know your sister lives in Atlanta. No. Well, next time you're up there, go. It's fantastic. It is freaking fantastic. And it's something I would encourage everybody to do. But when you, when you when you go there, you you see uh, obviously the history of the game, and you you're reminded of great players from every program. You know whether it's Notre Dame or Alabama or USC, Texas, Oklahoma, whatever it is. And I remember thinking, man, we've got we've got our fair share. Florida State has our fair share, but it's about to be infused with so many players because I if you just think on the '90s alone, we're going to start flooding this thing with Hall of Famers now. Again, there are certain standards uh, in order to be eligible to make the College Football Hall of Fame. Because if you're at home now thinking to yourself, oh, I'll write down a list of guys I think should be in the Hall of Fame from Florida State that were prolifically great players, that dominated the game, that were all Americans. Uh, I mean, this list is going to grow to 25, 35, 45 players. Well, players must have reached, have received first-team All-American recognition. They have to be 10 years removed from their final college football season. And they have to have already been out of the professional game. Um, it also includes candidates' records uh, as a citizen, they say, uh, and also as um, an academic. I guess they uh, would look at that, too. I, I don't know. But but that is something they say is on the list. So if you're wondering, uh, you know, this gets a little bit like the Baseball Hall of Fame, where sometimes writers – uh, become somewhat indignant towards certain players, and they take into account aspects of the players' careers, including things that don't involve baseball at all. I don't think it should be that way um, because, listen, again, you got guys like Ted, Ty Cobb in the Hall of Fame and others who were horrible people, uh, and, and, and yet that gets ignored a lot of times, and with other players it doesn't get ignored. I don't like the idea of uh, somebody arbitrarily, if a guy has not been convicted of a crime, Tom, deciding morally that they don't want, for example, to vote Jameis Winston into the Hall of Fame when his time comes because of the alleged violations in their mind and their moral code that he committed. That, that, that ought not be what it is. Yeah, I agree with you there. And if 
but if the citizenship, the outside of football is a part of the Hall of Fame selection process, then Warwick Dunn probably should have been amongst the first to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. This is a woefully overdue honor for Warwick Dunn. I, I, like you, because he's ahead of his time, think that Warwick Dunn qualifies as a Hall of Famer in the pro ranks. He's a top 20 player in yards from scrimmage in NFL history. Yeah. So I think that's an open and shut case. They clearly don't. But if you're talking about the total package, Warwick Dunn, I mean, the number 28 jersey, I remember seeing that everywhere. My cousin Matt owned one, and he lived in New York. Florida yeah. State was the biggest damn thing in the country well, correct. in the early to mid-90s when it came to college football. And 28 and 13, or sorry, 28 and 17 were the two biggest jerseys. Sorry, Danny. But uh, 28 was the jersey that you saw everywhere, and it was Warwick Dunn's number. Uh, again, this is the the guy who, who loved Warwick Dunn as one of his first sporting heroes talking. This guy is overdue to be in there. And I'm not trying to overlook Peter Warwick, but it's just the total package. When you talk about citizen, player, big moments, highlight reels, Warwick Dunn checks all of the boxes better than maybe any Nolan history. Yeah, there are a lot of boxes to check there. I would note, uh, again, and I have to stop saying that phrase, but I will tell you that a lot of people asking follow-up questions like, will Chris Winkie and others get in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, Charlie Ward's already in the Hall of Fame. I do believe Chris Winkie will get in the Hall of Fame. Won a national championship. First quarterback of the first ever wire-to-wire football team in the history of college football. It has to stand for something. He also won the Heisman Trophy. It's not like he didn't accomplish above and beyond just a team goal of playing well uh, you know, ascertaining a bunch of yards and all that. Now, my man threw for a gazillion yards on a prolifically badass team that was the first in college football to ever go wire to wire. He also won the Heisman Trophy. Yes, Chris Winkie will get into the Hall of Fame at some point. Now, he may be way back on the back burner because this list goes on and on and on of players uh, that have been nominated. If you're wondering, by the way, with the ballot and who it includes this year, uh, you've got Michael Vick. Uh, you, you've got a lot of all-time great players, and 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 I took Larry too long. Fitz. Yeah, I was, what I said, Larry Fitz too, right? Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald as well. Yeah, I took too long to uh, to get to this part of it, but I'll, I'll look at it in a moment. I'll give you. I mean, listen, I remember Flozell Adams. I remember Eric Bieniemy. I remember Jerome Brown. Everybody does. I can remember Mark Carrier, Kajana Carter, Russell. Car you can go on and on. There's so many great players on this list. We'll go through some of those guys and, and talk about who they are, but um, yeah, man, that's it's it, it is it is cool. It, it makes you realize, Tom. You know, sometimes when you're playing Trivial Pursuit with a with your parents or your friends or whatever, and you realize how many useless things you know, how many like useless nuggets of information. I'm really good at Trivial Pursuit. I have a feeling you are too. Um, and my dad is prolifically good at Trivial Pursuit. And, and they are wars when we sit down to play this game. But I think to myself all the time, like, why do I know that? Why do I know this? Why do I know that? Why, why in the world am I aware of that airport? Why do I know this? And I know these. When you go on the list, it's not bragging. It's just funny. It's a eureka moment. It's a light being shined on. You're like, oh, pretty good. When you go through and name everybody on this list, we should play the game and be like, all right, where'd they play? where they play and win every now and then there's somebody on the list. You're like, uh, 1962. You got me. I, I don't remember him at all. I wasn't alive, but for the most part, I mean, I just, as soon as I see the name, I'm like, yep. Remember the whole career. Remember where he played. Remember the years he played. It's crazy. Yeah. I would in this case, uh, 
say that you versus Corey is a more fair matchup for you versus Ira because there's still a lot of dudes from the 80s and the ni- early 90s. I'm like, yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, like, I might remember where they were as a pro in the NFL. Right. I met Mark Carrier. He came to my elementary school when he played for uh, the Bucks. I think he was working in TV, too, towards the end. Uh, but, yeah, some of these guys, like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, Larry Fitzgerald, you bet your ass, Pitt. There you go. I remember when he got to the Heisman Trophy final ceremony, you know, that things like that. So this is where the generation, you know, take does kick in a little bit. But there are weird things that I know, too. Like, for example, I'll see a pass into center ice, and it's two teams from the West Coast. I'm like, oh, that's P.A. Peugeot. How the hell do I know that's P.A. Peugeot who just of got course. stuck? You know, that's just weird. We're all weird that way. You want to have fun really quick? I'll do this for you, and I won't spend a lot of time on it. I'll come back to it. But I can't believe some of these guys are not in the Hall of Fame already. It's absurd that Jerome Brown out of Miami – has not been in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's he's one of the all-time sack leaders at the university at a time where Miami was synonymous with dominance. But do you remember Rocky Kalmus, linebacker from OU? No. You don't? No. No. Well, they won the national championship against our beloved Knowles, and he played on that team, and that was unfortunate. But like, you could have you could have made that name up as a test, and you know, just to see if I'm like, oh yeah, I remember Rocky Cal. No, no, he was a great player. But you're right about Mark Carrier; he was awesome. I got his autograph with the Bucks. But on this list, by the way, it's uh, Tim Couch and Marco Coleman and Ken Dorsey, DJ Dozier. Remember DJ Dozier? No. Running back Penn State. I this you're right. This is where our age difference is going to come into play. Because Dozier played in 91, I think it is, and you were five. So you're going to have a hard time there. Whereas I was out of high school. It's <laughs> 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 so Jeff Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio War Chat TV. What's up, guys? Our next partner that you're going to hear from is Athletic Greens. You've heard me talk about Athletic Greens in the past. Happy to talk about them again. I take Athletic Greens every day. And I gave him a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, It had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also, uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's athletic greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning and I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. athleticgreens.com slash JCS. 
Welcome back to the Jeff Cameron Show, sponsored by Legendary Home Loans, a mortgage experience designed around speed, simplicity, and customer service. Before you buy your next home, contact our friend Shannon Young with Legendary Home Loans. Visit FSUHomeLoans.com, FSUHomeLoans.com. Jeff Cameron Show rolling on here. Good Monday, everybody. We've got to do, uh, be on the lookout for it. i got to do it today, right after the show, I might add. Uh, the top 40 list will be coming out on warchant.com in the not-too-distant future. Tom, I think you've done yours already. I think I'm uh, the straggler of the bunch. Uh, I, I, I don't ever get organized in time to do my top 40 list, but it's a much more fun exercise this year in the offseason than it's been in a long time. It started to be fun last year after years of disappointment making this list, and now it's really fun because I have a feeling and again, I haven't done it yet, but I know you have. You probably ran out of room. You yeah. probably ran out of room. And guys, that's saying something. It's not just expectations of a great season. It's like, really? We're having a hard time finding just 40 because there's, there's that many good players? Man, that list was like seven three years ago. Seven good players. Yeah, and we'd argue over uh, guys that we knew weren't, you know, necessarily going to rack up massive yardage totals or tackle totals or be first team All ACC because it's all Florida State had. I mean, you got to rank somebody. It, it's almost like the Mel Kuyper. Somebody's got to go number one overall. How about Johnny <laughs> Manziel? Uh, <laughs> but this list was fun because I had to revise it uh, probably three or four times where I thought, well. Could this role player actually outperform two or three starters? I don't know. I don't know. This offense also spreads the ball around. So, I mean, how many receivers do you need to go before the top 20 after you get past Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman? Uh, you know, the three tight ends. Who's more important between Biscuit and Kyle Morlock? Hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, how many defensive tackles should really be in the top 30 here? Because they could go six or seven deep. Do I need to put six or seven? All right, there's only two linebackers on this list, and there's only going to definitely be one or two corners in the top 25. <laughs> of that, Where do I put the rest of these guys? It's kind of a mess there. Rodney Hill. Where do I put Rodney Hill re relative to Lawrence Toafili? I mean, all of these things. It was a really fun process. And then with 40, I just took a swing for the downs. Uh, I got a guy at 40 that I think is going to be a good player for us as a true freshman. So, and it's not Dre Jacobs because he was in the, he's way up on that list. Ryan, you make me laugh often. That's a good one in the chat. No more at 38, Josh Griffiths. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I really remember about him? We're not taking shots at him was the argument that ensued online when the word came out that he was likely going to be leaving and his mom got mad at people for saying that as clearly she hadn't heard from her own son what was true, which was that he was leaving and that the people online were right that he was leaving and that no matter how much she vehemently defended the fact that he wouldn't be leaving, it was true. It was great. That that was like, that kind of summit, summed it up. I was like, great, we're arguing over a player who's not any good at all. Wow, I don't remember that at all. I think I've done a very good job, apparently, of flushing that stuff so I can remember that P.A. Peugeot plays out in, you know, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was something. I remember going, really? This is where we're at, guys? This is where we're at? We're arguing about a guy who's – really, the argument ought to be, why is this guy on this team? What are we What are we doing? Oh. I mean, look, in those lean years, you would put the kicker or the punter up there. Kicker is its own issue, and it'll fire up the chat because people get pissed off about it.
but I can't put Mastro in the top 40. He's not going to have enough work. If he does, that's a problem. If Mastromano is one of your top 40 players this year, you have an issue relative to your expectations. There's zero chance he's going to be in the top 40 for, for me as well. I think you're right. I don't think he'll have enough work. Uh, I would like to put a kicker maybe somewhere in that top 40. A lot of extra points to be kicked. I'd like there to be a standard of success uh, that uh, from 45 yards and in that you could really believe in because yeah. I think we're going to score a lot of points, period, just points in general. On touchdowns, field goals, great field position, big plays, we're going to be in position to score a lot of points often, and I need that guy to be reliable. I understand that maybe in only two or three games is it really going to make a difference, but I think where it gets lost a lot of times, and hopefully my boy from Etsu gets it done, um, but I, I think, I think where it gets lost is like early in games where the balance of the game is at hand, where you have an opportunity to put a team in a desperate mode, uh, and you miss that kick and you let somebody hang around or you feel pushed to go for it in a situation where you don't have the leverage and it's fourth and, you know, nine or eight, and you have to go for it. Cause you can't trust that your kicker can make a 42 yarder. I mean, the bottom line is you get up two scores on somebody in the second quarter with this offense, they're in real trouble. You let them hang around, hang around, hang around. And next thing you know, it all comes back to you. The pressure begins to mount. You're the favorite team all because you couldn't make a couple chip shot field goals that would have made it 16 to nothing instead of 10 to nothing, you know, it's just like, or, or, or 13 to, you know what I mean? So like these kinds of things frustrate me to no end. Yeah, I agree. Look, the, the NC State game was lost because of a lack of a kicker. And and be, the reason you go for it in a situation that Johnny Wilson drops what would have been a touchdown probably on a fourth down is because you don't trust the kicker. And people look at that game and they say, well, after the trick punt return, which was awesome, gets totally forgotten because we lost the football game, Fitz made the kick before half. Yes, because we had to kick in that situation. And the game wasn't in the balance at that point. We were ahead. There's no pressure. But the reason you come away with zero points in a drive that could have been the difference in the game early on is because you couldn't trust him to make a 30-some-odd-yard field goal. So we don't need to be in that situation again. I hope we're not this year because it's a razor's edge of a margin. If you want to win a conference title, if you want to win more than that and play in the college football playoff, you've got to be better and you've got to have a baseline of 40 yards. I mean, come on, it's 40 yards. But spoiler alert, my top 40 does not have a kicker. Nope, I don't trust it. Don't trust it. Well, and I make jokes about this a lot because of my affinity for uh, my former place of, uh, of, of well, my former place of living uh, is the best way to say it, uh, ETSU. I want the kid from ETSU to win the job. By the way, he's a Tallahassee kid who happened to go away to East Tennessee State, so we're rooting for a Tallahassee kid here. But I have nothing against uh, Fitzgerald if he, could, if he could somehow win it. I, in fact, it'd be a good story. I mean, I'm not, I don't really care who kicks for us, frankly, as long as they kick well. And I, I'm really, we were so spoiled for so long. We really did have a run there of kicking greatness, not just good, solid, above average. No, no, elite level, all-time great. Can you believe this guy kicks for us kind of good? And so it doesn't take long for me to get frustrated with missed kicks because we were in the wake of making everything all the time. 
Yeah, if I didn't see any of spring camp, I wouldn't like if I'm just a fan who watches the games, I wouldn't be worried about the kicking situation because Fitz had a nice rebound to the, the end of the season. He hurt himself in the UF game, was able to play through that injury, make a couple of kicks for us, uh, most of them extra points. But that was its own issue, and yet he gutted it out. And then in the uh, the bowl game, he, yeah, all right, he looks solid. But then you actually get to watch the practices in the spring, and it's it's not a dead issue. We'll no, just, it just... sucks. It's often really hit and miss. There's no consistency from any of those guys, uh, not even my Etsu guys. It, it's just been guy. It's just been a bit of a cluster, bit of a cluster. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. And I actually, the problem with it too, I get asked this a lot when I'm out and about. Like we talk about sizing up the team. You and I have a mutual friend at the golf course we play at, Capital City Country Club. And, um, you know, the first question we often get asked is, uh, what do you think? You know, I know we're going to be good here. We're going to be good there. But then the places people go, kicking and secondary and linebacker. Those are the three places. That's, that's all anybody goes. And whenever the kicking comes up, I'd love to be able to give them a great answer, but I never can. And then as soon as I say, well, they go, all right. And here's the problem. Those guys have good weeks and bad weeks. There's a week where they make everything. And you're like, okay, yep. all right. Yep. Kids made everything this week at spring football practice. Feeling good. And the next time you go out there, they're not even at 50% for the week. So in the uh, – and it's not even close. These aren't like misses. They're like, oh, good. I mean, he really thumped that one. It just, you know, happened not to go in. They're like shanks. You're like, oh, God, this is – like they could return this if they put a returner out there. It's from 37. <laughs> like, they could, mm -hmm. The opponents could have just what guys stand in the end zone all season long because you never know. Might just be kicked right at you. Um, Gene, in the last 30 seconds, Gene's threshold here for the top 40 – Players you believe will have the opportunity and capability to make the biggest impact this season. Not about NFL talent or whatever. Oh, of course. With that said, is Fabian Lovett your number one defensive tackle? No. I figured that would be the answer. No. It's Daryl Jackson? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think based on ability, based on what I saw from talent, size, and ability, he ought to be uh, the best defensive tackle we have. Don't know if he will be. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with.